Well, welcome everyone who is here in the house and those of you also joining us online. Today is Father's Day, and um, unusually for Father's Day, uh, for these kinds of days, Father's Day seems to be the same day all over the world. So wherever you're watching from, it's probably Father's Day. Mother's Day is not like that. Mother's Day is a different day in different countries of the world. So when we do mother, like when we did Mother's Day here, my mother in the UK was not having Mother's Day. It was in a different day, a different month even then. Um, but today, Father's Day, I, all the countries that I know of seem to have the same Father's Day. I don't know how all that came about, but it did. And uh, so today is Father's Day, and it's very difficult to get a Father's Day message out of the Bible because most of the fathers in the Bible were dysfunctional. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. But I mean, you just have a look at them, you know, Abraham, David, Solomon, and so on. I mean, like, the Bible is not a book about healthy human beings. I think, you, I hope you need to be aware of that. The Bible is a book about a bunch of messed up, screwed up, broken, sinful, selfish, dysfunctional human beings. And there's only one good father in the whole Bible, and that is God, who in his love, in his mercy, in his grace, is prepared to roll up his sleeves and put up with these human beings that are constantly messing up everything and trying to lead their lives down a better path, okay? The only good father in the Bible is actually God. And it says there, it says in the Bible, it says, blessed be God the Father from whom all other fatherhood derives its name or receives its meaning. In other words, the Bible doesn't liken God as a father to help us have an, an example of what God is like. It's not like. It's not like God said, how can I explain myself to these people? What's the most wonderful thing that they have on their planet? If, if we could find the most wonderful thing that they have on their planet, then that might kind of like reflect me a little bit to them. Oh, look, fathers, they are the most wonderful thing on planet Earth. Maybe I can present myself as, that's not the way it is. It's like there was originally a father, God the Father. He is the first father, and he wanted us to reflect what he's like. But because we are fallen and sinful, we make a bad job of it. Every dad is, feels like a bad dad. They feel like they could be better than a father and so on. And that's because inside our hearts, there's this thing that we want to live up to be a father. And whether you're a Christian or not, it's like, you know, even people who are not believers they have something in their heart. The Bible says God has placed eternity in our hearts. We know there's something more in life. We know there's something greater in life. We know there's something that we're called to live up to, but that we constantly fail. And it's not till we go to Scripture that we realize that we 
are all called to live up to the glory of God, but we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so, it is hard to find a good dad role model in the Bible. But I'm not just talking about dads today. You might remember on Mother's Day, we didn't just talk about mothers, we talked about women. And we talked about how the Bible celebrates all kinds of different women. And uh, so today, we're not just talking about dads, we're talking about men. So we're doing part two. We did part one on Mother's Day of men, women, families, and God. We did the women on Mother's Day. We're doing the men today. And next month, on July 4th, on our Canada Day service, which is outside, we will do families and how we are the family of God. And so it's like a three-part series, but it's broken up a month in between. So we're going to look at men. We looked at women. Now we're going to look at men, what the Bible says about men and God. So first of all, one of the first things that we need to acknowledge is that like men are not exactly celebrated in our current Western secular culture. In fact, when, whenever you hear the word masculinity in our current secular culture, there's normally another word stuck in the front of that. Can anybody tell me what it is? Toxic. Can you imagine if we did that about any, anybody else? Toxic childhood. Toxic motherhood, you know? But we have this thing in our culture which we call toxic masculinity. And then, and then when you ask someone to describe it, they will do two things. First of all, they will describe something that's toxic. But it's toxic whether you're a man or a woman or a kid or anything. I mean, if a dog behaved that way, the dog's toxic, you know? So they'll describe something toxic and you would say, yes, that is toxic. But it's not just men that have that. Give me another example. And then they'll describe something that's just masculine. And you say, that's toxic. And if a man does it, it's toxic. If a woman does it, it's toxic. You know, if a bunny rabbit does it, it's toxic. If a bunny, you've got a bunny rabbit going about picking fights and beating up people in your neighborhood, that's toxic. It's not masculine, it's toxic. And, other, and here's another thing. If you want to, if you want to make something that you're complaining about even worse, you just need to put the word man in front of it. Mansplaining. Manspread. Somehow mansplaining is worse than just explaining, you know? And so we have this thing, and, I, and we could put up all these statistics, which I'm not going to do, because I'm sure you know them. I'm sure you know that, like, men have challenges in life and in our Western secular culture. You know, if you look at the statistics of who commits suicide, if you look at who dies in, in dangerous jobs, if you look at who loses their kids and all their money in divorce and custody cases, if you look at a whole lot of addictions, homelessness, the, the sentence that somebody will get for committing exactly the same crime. So in a lot of these things, you can go online and you will find them, it will shock you the statistics and the problems that men have to face in life. And one of the reasons for that is that our world is broken. 
Our world is fragmented. Has anybody watched the news, you know, over the last year or so and come to the conclusion that the world has gone crazy? Does anybody else think that? The world is crazy. It's broken. And then do you know what secular society does when the world, well, it does what any humans do. What happens when you've got a problem and you don't, you don't understand the root of the problem and you don't understand what caused the problem? You need to find somebody else to blame the problem on. You need to demonize somebody else. And this is what we've got in our secular society secular society living outside of the guidelines of God's kingdom, making up their own rules, create a dysfunctional society. And when that dysfunctional society begins to go crazy, they all blame one another. They blame people, they blame the color of people's skin. They blame people's gender. They blame people's social background or financial background or cultural background or ethnic background. And then the church watches all of these divisions going on in society, and very often the church thinks we need to somehow identify with all of these problems, and we need to like, yes, men need to stop man-spreading, and yes, you need to stop being a racist, and yes, you need to stop doing, and actual fact, we are missing the fact that we are part of another kingdom, and in our kingdom, it doesn't matter what age you are, it doesn't matter what color you are, it doesn't matter what gender you are, it doesn't matter how rich or poor you are. There is no uh, slave or free. There's no male or female. There's no black or white. There's no Jew or Greek. We are all equally valuable in God's kingdom. Every single one of us, regardless of our gender, our age, our culture, or, or our color, we all have the same Father. We have all been saved by the same Savior. We are all indwelling by the same Spirit. We are one in Christ. Let's not drag the secular world's issues into the church. Let's say to the secular world, are you fed up with that mess? Come into the kingdom of God. Come into the family of God. Sure, we make a mess sometimes because we're human beings and families irritate each other and families fall out with each other, but they're still a family. Come and join our family. We might irritate you and you might irritate us, but we'll have the same Father. We'll have the same Savior. We'll be filled with the same Spirit. We'll be part of the same family. Come and build something new. And in God's kingdom, everyone has a place. We don't have to demonize people. We don't have to demonize women. We don't have to demonize men. We don't have to demonize old people. We don't have to demonize young people. When you read what the, how the prophets describe God's kingdom. It says, aged people shall be sitting in, in the streets, and little children will be noisily playing around them, and everyone will enjoy, will, will enjoy their own life and be in community with one another. In God's kingdom, we, there is a place for everybody. And even though in some parts of our secular society, men might feel like there's not a place for men, or men are looked down upon, or whatever it may be, guys, 
Whether you're a father or not, this is, this is a message for all the men. There is a place for you in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God loves men. The kingdom of God wants men. The kingdom of God needs men. And the men that are already in the kingdom could do with being manly men and manning up a bit because God created men and women equally in his image because he knew that we need both. Now, that's not very controversial. Somebody could possibly say amen at the end of that. We need both men and women. And in fact, the Bible, the Bible's got bits in it that, that you know, women love, you know? Uh, but the Bible's also got bits in it that only boys would like. Let me show you one of them. There's this story about this king, and really, he is quite a big king. I mean, like the Bible describes his belly as being remarkably large. And he was a bad guy. And this is what happened to him. Let's put it up. Next, put up whatever verse it is. That one. Judges 3. Ehud, if that's how you pronounce his name, reached in with his left hand and drew the sword from his right thigh and plunged it into the king's belly. Even the handle sank in after the blade, and his bowels discharged. Ehud did not pull the sword out, and the fat closed in over it. Only boys like that story. Girls don't like that story. They like the story of Ruth and Naomi and all of that. But guys, they like the big fat dude, they got the knife stuck in his belly, and it swallowed the whole belly, and wow! They should make a Bible movie about this story, I'll tell you that. There's masculine things in the Bible. And I want you to know, masculine traits are not toxic. Toxic traits are toxic, right? Toxic traits are toxic, but masculine traits aren't. And I've stuck a few masculine traits up here. And I know I'm, being, I'm doing stereotypes here. I'm painting with a broad brush. I know that there's plenty of men that don't have these attributes. And I know there's lots of women who do. And unfortunately, sometimes the, the women who do have them are stuck being married to the men who don't have them. And then so the women have to do, do the stuff. But they, generally speaking, these are things that men tend to like. Masculine attributes, self-reliance. We will never ask for directions or go to the doctor, okay? <laughs> we will work out how to get there ourselves, and we will, we will like stab that little whatever it is and squeeze it and fix it ourselves, okay? Self-reliance. Desire for respect. You might remember this when we did the woman in Mother's Day, when we looked at the passage that says, um, husbands love your wives and wives respect your husbands. And I mentioned that modern psychologists say that in a, in a relationship, uh, men and women crave lots of things. But the thing that women crave more than anything else in the relationship is affection. And the thing that men crave more than anything else is respect. Now, men like affection too, and women like respect too. But in the order of priorities, they say women crave affection. They want to know they are loved. And men crave respect. They want to know that they are respected. And psychologists were amazed at how it 
genius they were to come up with this. And 2,000 years ago, God wrote it in the Bible if they had just opened it and read it. And so women crave affection, but men crave respect. Uh, the ambition to accomplish something. That could be toxic if, if your ambition is to accomplish a holocaust or something, but if your ambition is to like bring the end to poverty in an area, isn't that a good ambition? To accomplish something. Impatience with injustice. You know, I, this is something I kind of struggle with, and I, it must be genetic. I think it must be genetic because my son, one of my sons got it. We used to go and... It, Christine and me, it used to be like, who's picking him up from kindergarten today? Because it was always like, there was always something. Uh, do you want to know who he punched today, you know? And I'd be like, why are you punching people? And he would say, because that boy stole a toy from that girl and it wasn't fair. And we didn't have time to go and deal with the teacher, so I just punched him and took it off him and gave it back to the girl. You know? <laughs> just solve the problem, you know, don't talk about it, solve it. So he solved it. Um, take charge mentality. It's like something, well, th that was it. He's, he's watching this and thinking, somebody needs to take charge. There's women in charge of this room. They're not, I'll sort it out. I'm a little man. And he, take charge mentality. So these are things that men like, and I want you to know, and women have obviously have these attributes too. But these are the things that build civilization. If we don't have that, you've got chaos, you've got anarchy, you've got, you've got no protection, you have no safety, and so on. And so, there is a masculine side to the body of Christ, and uh, oh, I see what my media person did. I've been confusing you in my order, haven't I? Okay. Go to the one that says, be a man. Be a man. If there's a man next to you, whether you know him or not, slap him and uh, you're not allowed to touch each other, are you? Say to him, be a man. Go on, do it. Tell someone to be a man. Now, what does a man do? Well, a man needs to man up a bit. And that, being a, being a man doesn't mean you never admit if you're wrong. If you're wrong, admit it. Although look at the bottom one, when you're right, stand strong. It is not masculine to pretend you're right when you're wrong, but neither is it being a man if you know you're right, but you're such a wimp you won't admit it. That's not masculine either, both of them. I am wrong about this, please forgive me. No, I'm not backing down in this because I know that it's right. So both of these are important. And then in the middle one, middle two, when you sin, repent. Repent of it. Have the guts to admit before God when you're wrong. And when you are called to act, take up a challenge. I want to just show you two passages of Scripture where King David was told to be a man or that he was the man. And I want you to notice that it covered all of this. Being a man isn't being like the big, uh, the person who's like so aggressive that they never admit they're wrong and that they, they never go before God. Like real, King David was a warrior. 
And yet his heart was so sensitive before God when he sinned, he was convicted and he had to go before God and put things right. Let's have a look at these passages. The first one's from 1 Samuel, and it says this in chapter 16. It says, now the Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul. Saul was the king, but God had now rejected him because of his sinful ways and was going to choose a new king. You have mourned long enough because of Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with oil and go to Bethlehem. When a king or a queen was anointed, oil is poured on them. In fact, the, the queen uh, in the UK, when she, during her coronation, had oil like this poured on her as part of the coronation. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. But Samuel asked, how can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Next one. Take a heifer with you, the Lord replied, and say that you have come to make a sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you which of his sons to anoint for me. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. What's wrong, they asked. Do you come in peace? Yes, Samuel replied. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice too. This is like a big drama that's unfolding here. So let's look at what happens here and how God looks at the bravery in people's heart and he looks to who has a heart after him. So let's read on. It says, when they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Listen, men, and everybody in the room, but today we're talking especially to the men. If you want to be a real man, be a real man of God. And if you want to be a real man of God, I, I don't care how tough you are on the outside. Maybe you wrestle grizzly bears and, and, and drive, uh, you know, go on these mudding things over the Rocky Mountains and live outside on mushrooms and salmon for three months or something like that. And you come back and you're a real man. But make sure, no matter how tough you are on the outside, make sure your heart is equally tender towards God on the inside. God looks at the heart. Let's read on. Then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front. It's like speaking in tongues trying to read these names, isn't it? But Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. And next, Jesse summoned Shemaiah. But Samuel said, neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. And then let's read on. It says, then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he is out in the fields watching the sheep and the goats. 
Send for, he's just a kid. He's not a man. He's just a kid. Listen, I've, I've seen little kids that are braver than some adults. And this little kid here, he's out watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was ruddy and handsome with beautiful eyes. It's great when you can relate to something that you read in the Bible, isn't it? I love this verse. And the Lord said, remember he's just a kid, and the Lord said, read it out with me, this is the man, anoint him. I want you to know something. You might feel like a failure as a man. You might feel like a failure as a human being. You might feel like a failure as a Christian. You might have messed so many things up on the outside of your life. But if you've got a heart after God, if your heart's tender towards God, then God sees your heart. He can use your heart. Other people, listen, you, you, might, you might not feel like a man. You might not be a man. You might be a woman. You might be a kid. But in, to use this phrase, when the Lord sees your heart, he's saying, this is the man. This is the woman. This is the person. This is somebody that I can do something with. These other people that look like they've got it all together, that look like they, they've been made for the task and everything else, they're not the, they won't rely on me. But this person with a heart after me, someone with a heart after me. I don't care how young he is. He's a real man, God is saying. That's a man of God. That's somebody I can use. If you feel useless or worthless or giftless or anything else, I want you to know all God is looking for is a heart that is after him. And if he sees your heart, he's going to say, that's the man. They may not have the life experience that person's got, the money, the talents, the abilities, the, the fan base, the, the opportunities, the education, the training. They may not have all of that, but they've got a heart after me. That's the man I'm going to use. He's the man who's going to be a man of God. And so don't look at things the way the world does. Look at things the way God does. And we know the story. David was anointed as king he went out, he killed Goliath even while Saul was still king. He came and worked in the king's court, and eventually David became the king of all of Israel and set up a dynasty that came after him. But being a man was not just about being challenged to do something great. Come on, you're the man, you're anointed, you can do it. Also, David was told to be a man when he did things that were wrong. Look at this time when another prophet came to him, 2 Samuel. Let's look at the next one. 2 Samuel 12, the Lord sent Nathan, Nathan's a prophet like Samuel was, the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, now Nathan tells David a story. Now, let's just pause before we get into this story. Let me just tell you what had happened before this. David was the king, and some of the enemy nations were invading his nation. And David, as the king, was supposed to lead his army to war. But instead, he set, sent the army out, and he had a staycation back home in the palace. 
and he had nothing to do with his time. And we all know the saying, the devil makes work for idle hands. And David had nothing to do, and he's wandering around, and then he sees some babe having a bath through her window, peeping Tom kind of stuff, and he's looking in, oh, I like her, I like the looks of her. And he ends up having an affair with her, and she's actually married to one of his top soldiers. And then he arranges for the top soldier to be put in a place in the battle where he'll be killed so that he can marry Bathsheba. You know the whole story, and it's, you know, the name is interesting, Bathsheba, and she was having a bath at the time. But anyway, and uh, so Nathan, David doesn't think anything of it. He's covered it all up, but the prophet knows because God knows. You might have covered stuff up in your life, guys. You might have been looking at stuff online that you shouldn't be looking at. Maybe your wife doesn't know. Maybe your pastor doesn't know. But maybe God knows. And that's what happened here. He said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle. But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. Let's keep going. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger because men are impatient with injustice, even when it's them that's committed the injustice. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, I'll punch that dude and take one of his sheep and give it to that other person. Basically what he said, as soon as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and I had no pity. Let's read on. Then Nathan said to David, shout it out with me, you are the man. You're the guy that did it. And if you're going to be a real man, you need to man up David and fix this problem. Look, you're the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all of this had been too little, I would have given you even more. I think there's a next one. Is there a next slide? Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. Sometimes you need a prophet or a preacher or a pastor or a friend or maybe just your wife to say to you, listen, you're the man. You can do it. I know you feel like you can't do it. I know you feel like you're not capable. I know you feel like you're not gifted, but you, but you are the man that the Lord has anointed. You are capable. Rise up and take that challenge. And other times you need somebody to say, hey, wait a minute. Be a man. 
Be a man and admit that this is wrong. This is a sinful lifestyle. This is leading us down the wrong path. You need to admit to that and to change. Being a man involves both. And in fact, to everybody here, being a Christian involves both. Whether you're male or female, young or old, whether you've been a believer for 40 years or for 40 days, it makes no difference. God is looking at our hearts. And when God sees people with a heart after him, he says, there's the man, there's the woman, there's the young person, there's the child who shall lead them. And the Lord anoints those who have a heart after him. And we need to have courage and confidence and believe that God God wants us to rise up and achieve things in life. But on the other hand, as Christians, as men and women and young people, as children of God, we mess up all the time. And we need to come before God, and we need to deal with the dysfunction and the brokenness and the sin and the selfishness that is in our lives. We need to be a man or be a child of God who is going to honestly admit before God the faults that we've got. If we could believe that God has gifted us with good things, and if we could be honest that all we bring to the table is bad stuff that needs to be dealt with, and if we could deal with our bad stuff, and if we could have faith in the good stuff that God puts in our lives, can you imagine how different our lives would be? So here we go. Here's my conclusion. I'm calling all the men in this place and watching all online. I'm calling all the men, and actually everybody could take this to their own hearts, to rise up and take your place. Have some confidence in the fact that God has anointed you. He has put his spirit upon you. He has given you gifts. Rise up and take your place. I'm calling you to take personal responsibility for your own faith and your own growth. Have a heart after God. Let your motivation to change as a person come out from your own heart. And then I'm also calling you to become all that God has given you the potential to become. If God has given you dreams and desires and gifts and talents, discover them and put them to use and become that. Rise up in the church and be the man that God is looking for. And that we need. And if everybody takes their part in the body of Christ, then everything that God wants to do will be done. So come on, let's stand together. I'm going to pray for you. We're going to pray for everyone who's gathered here and is watching online. We're going to pray for all the men in our church and in our families and all the young men as well. And we're going to pray about the fatherhood of God for all of us to experience. So let's close our eyes. Maybe lift your hands up to God. Open your heart before him. Lord, we thank you that you are our father and you're a good father. You give good gifts to your children. You have brought us into your kingdom and we are so grateful and thankful 
that as a father, you feed us, you lead us, you guide us, you love us, you nurture us. And today, all of us acknowledge that we have an amazing Father in you, Lord. May all of us who have grown up without a father or with a dysfunctional father or are alienated from our fathers or our fathers are no longer alive in this world, may all of us know the healing balm that comes from your spirit as we enjoy the fatherhood of God. And I pray for all the men in this church watching online in the families that are represented, all the young boys and young men. I pray, Father, that we would be a people that model healthy masculinity, healthy brotherhood, healthy fatherhood under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. May we become real men and the realest man of all is may we become like Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And may every one of us in this place rise up and take our place, we ask, in your name. And all God's people said, amen. Come on, let's worship God together.